Welcome to another episode of Propcast, a property podcast that aims to educate, inspire, and engage property investors. We are your hosts, Dami Shionbala and Bimbala Osaige. Hi, Bimbala. Hi. Hi, Dami. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Um, cool, 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 cool. Awesome. We've got another episode of Propcast. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so if this is your first time to podcast, we are your property podcasters and today we're going to be talking about our top five challenges in property. So is it challenges? Yeah, challenges because you know, Bimbala, whenever you go to you know a training or a seminar, nine times out of ten, they'll sell you a dream or they'll sell you you know, you can be financially free, you know, what do you want? Do you want financial freedom? Do you want financial independence? Do you want time freedom? They'll sell you these dreams, right? These massive, massive dreams. And then, you know, you've got 100 people in a room. And then before you know it, you've got 10 people. He's gone, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone to sign up. He's gone to sign up. We've been in those rooms together, so <laughs> and we've signed up too. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. So, uh, and then you know you embark on the journey, and then you suddenly start to discover that hmm, those dreams that we were sold, um, there's some challenges here, and it would have been nice to have understood and know about those challenges so that we walk in with our eyes wide open, you know. So. Not to say that those we can't achieve or we haven't achieved those things. Of course, you can, and people have, and people do. But it's also understanding that in anything, especially property, it does come with its challenges. So today we're going to talk about our top five challenges. And yeah, so I guess you can start first, Bimbala. I will. I will. Yes, I've been sold that dream. Or should I say, I was sold that dream. And... And it's funny, actually, because one of the biggest one is financial independence and financial freedom. And I've been in properties for a long time now, and I have acquired a sizable portfolio in millions, actually. Would I say I'm financially free right now? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm still but, you're, but you're working towards it, right? You're working towards so, it. Yeah. So I suppose, well, then again, to be fair, financial freedom is very relative, right? True. So in my scenario, perhaps if I didn't have all this dependence and if I didn't have a big mortgage, I could have been financially free a long time ago. Sure. But actually, um, now you say it, maybe we can do another episode on the different level of like you've got financial freedom, financial independence, yeah. and so on and so forth. So maybe we can do a next episode and we can actually touch on what does financial freedom mean? Because this is something that's banded a lot, especially when you go to you know training seminars and things like that. Yeah. Uh, everyone's after that dream. So yeah, you're right. It is relative. And yeah, yeah it'll be good to talk about that maybe in the next episode. We will. So the first challenge, our top one is buying very high and if you're any if you've been around properties you've been around investors the one thing that everyone's looking for is buying below market value because really if you're able to buy a property below its market value you already at the point of buying that property already making money which is the goal in fact there's a saying 
that you actually make money when you buy, not necessarily when you sell. So that's the goal that you make money when you buy. But sometimes you don't buy low, you actually buy high. And, you know, we're going to talk about how people end up buying high. I think for me, one of the first things that comes to mind are those package deals. Uh, package deals, this is where um, you have a deal that is packaged with, that includes, probably includes this was quite common actually just before the crash where developers would sell you a package deal of, you know, buy this property, we're throwing the stamp duty for free, we're throwing the legals or, you know, they package the deal such that everything is inclusive. But what tends to happen is when you then piece the whole thing or you put it apart, you realize that the actual property price is higher than it should. And that was one of the main issues when we had a property crash in 2008, 2009, where a lot of properties when the market crashed, were deemed to have been way too expensive than it should. But generally, when you buy a property, perhaps because you haven't done your research properly, so let's say, for example, the market value of a two-bed house in an area that you've chosen is, say, 250000 on average, and then you've gone on, found this fantastic property that's all done of, looks really lovely, nice, beautiful, you know, the property is beautiful, and you it's on the market for, let's say, 255 and maybe because it's so beautifully done, there's a bit of competition, and then eventually the person that buys it pays, say, 260 265 for it. If the average market value of that property is two fifty thousand, the fact that you've paid two sixty five for it means you bought it higher than it should. And it's very easy to get into that. Maybe not so much for investors. I think generally when people are looking to buy, they get attracted to the furnishings, <laughs> the furnishings and the property that will be removed when it's sold, the way that the previous owner, the way the vendors done the property of there's certain things in the property that would increase value. So things like so having kitchen, a bathroom. Yeah, but then even when you think about bathroom and kitchen, for example, having a beautiful bathroom and a beautiful kitchen does not necessarily increase the value of your property. You just have a beautiful bathroom. But you, then I guess that then comes to how you perceive value because mm-hmm. it may not increase the value of your property per se, but if someone who's coming to look at it is seeing wow this is an amazing kitchen and this is an amazing bathroom i could totally see myself living in this house the value to that individual then determines what they're willing to pay for it so this is why you often you might get price wars because those individuals are seeing much value in what you've done to the house and they're willing to pay premium for it Yeah, which is good when you're looking to move. So when you're an owner-occupier, so when you're looking to buy to move into, you know, you can get attracted to a beautiful kitchen. And for you, that might be the value. I mean, I definitely would say that was the same with me when we moved into our property. The kitchen was what sold it to me. And I can categorically say that on my clothes, I have the most beautiful kitchen um, but, <laughs> but it's true. But You've scoped to every single other house. So, you? So what it is, I haven't been to every single person's house, but let me tell you why I think I had the most beautiful kitchen. Because on, and I'm literally digressing from the topic, but let me share this very quickly. So I live on a newish development. It's not brand new, but it's, well, actually, I moved in six years ago. And when I moved in, the property was just coming up to its 10th year. So the property was built, or so the development so, was. So it's still considered a new build because new builds are. Right. Considered less than 20 years old? 
okay, so I live in a new bit development. So you know how it is with those development, they all have the same layout, same kitchen, same because obviously it's the same developer buys it in bulk and just creates this kitchen. So if you look on my Zupla or Right Move, or you know, when you look at the previous sales you would see that everyone has similar type of kitchen. Now the vendor, the person that I bought this property from, this was like six years ago, they went ahead and changed their kitchen. If I, they changed the kitchen, opened the dining room into the kitchen. So my kitchen is larger in terms of just like a kitchen diner rather than having a separate kitchen and a separate dining room. And then they did it, this is so beautiful. So unless the people on my clothes have done, gone ahead and changed their kitchen, <laughs> assuming that everyone is on that same kitchen. <laughs> and if that be the case, my kitchen was beautiful. So anyway, I saw that and I was so impressed. And I, was, I mean, it's a beautiful kitchen. I mean, it, actually, let me just put it this way. It was a very beautiful kitchen when I bought it. <laughs> you, you put it for its paces, yeah? You've made good use of it. Good use of African cooking as well. But anyway, yeah. so talking about value, when you're an owner-occupier, you can, yeah, you can see a beautiful kitchen, beautiful bathroom, and, you know, and then perceive it to be higher than it should. And that's fine. When you're an investor, though, it's a completely different ballgame. And especially if you're an investor that is going into this deal, let's say you're going into a BRR deal where you're going to buy, refurbish, refinance, or, or not even a BRR, you're going to look to refinance this deal at some point. Now, if you get carried away by this beautiful kitchen, your valuer, right? So even though you might think that it's worth this much, your valuer comes in, he's not particularly interested in that particular type of kitchen. He comes in to say, tick, is there a functional kitchen? Is there a functional bathroom? Obviously, he looks at the quality and might determine that, okay, you know what, this quality is a much nicer than the basic one. I might give it an extra bit, but I don't think Everything is kind of boils down, I suppose, to what the value of the surveyor thinks the property is worth. So if you've gone ahead and paid 15, 20,000 pounds more than the average market value, you may, if you're lucky, get it valued at that price. But if you're not, then basically what I'm saying is you then bought it too high, in which case, if you are looking to extract money at that point of remortgage, you may not be able to extract as much as you would have hoped for. Same thing happens to if, for example, worst case scenario, the market crashes, right? And typically, if you, depending on where you are in the country, the crash affects places differently. So if you're in London and the south of England, when we had the previous crash, the effect wasn't as bad as people in the north. So imagine if you, but then I also know that there were people that lived close to me or close enough in the south whose properties were really really undervalued when when the crash happened and that was because they bought way too high yeah so i think you know without going too much into this it's one of the challenges basically of investing buying way higher than you should and that only really becomes a problem if you're then looking to extract money from the deal obviously if you're not looking to extract money then you may eventually it would all kind of burn you know, over the long period of time, it wouldn't be an issue, but in a short space of time, especially if you're looking to remortgage or to refinance your deal, if you buy way too high, then you're going to feel the pinch when the value comes through. Yeah. And other avenues where people potentially buy too high, for example, you go to an auction and then the emotions of being at an auction. Oh, yes. You know, to the individual. And it becomes an emotional purchase as opposed to a, because, you know, you're in the thick of it. And mm-hmm. you've experienced something similar, haven't you, Bimbo? Oh, you kind of, 
you've tried to finalize a purchase and you know you keep going you keep going increase by five increase by ten before you know it you've spent 10 15 20 30,000 more than what you wanted so there's challenges there but the other place as well is you talked about package deals and that also reminded me of when you buy new build yeah new builds typically you can get the five percent you know help to buy scheme now problem here is when you use that you're actually typically buying an overpriced asset because the builders inflate it a bit because they know you know you're going to get you know help from the government so they're able to get away with slightly higher prices than for what it's worth so again you know even not just investors but everyday individuals you know so just watch out for that because you can be paying for an overpriced asset because they know you're getting help to buy the property so yeah, yeah, just for our days. So moving on, because we do have another four we need to talk about. <laughs> so working with builders, Bimbola, tell oh, us about working with builders and why this can be a challenge. Builders, builders, builders. Well, okay, so let's not call it builders, actually. Let's just say the team. So it's important when you're investing to have the right team on board. In fact, having the right team is like, it's like it's gold. And the emphasis on the word right team, it's gold because you need your team. You can't, this is not a one-man business. You always need people in your corner. You need your broker. You need your lawyer. You need your builders. You need your electrician. You need your handyman or handyman. You literally need people on your team to make every transaction a success. Now, the challenge with that is a human being just like you human beings that are prone to disappointment (laughs) that are prone to illnesses and so on and so forth. But today I just wanted to talk a bit about when you have a team that is not very competent, it is one of the biggest and worst experiences you could ever go through in any kind of transaction. So talking about lawyer, I want to start with the lawyers because if I right now I'm going through that way, I'm just thinking like, is this person for real? So where you have a legal team that you can never get hold of. And this is typically where you know there are those law firms where they run like a call center like no one no specific person handles your case it's it's a yeah. team and that is like one of the most annoying setup and i don't <laughs> because you call right and then you call and then they have someone has to take a message for someone else to call you back so yeah you one person that you're looking to speak to and then when they do call you back they're asking you questions because they're not personally responsible for your case and then they just not they've got maybe so there's no one really chasing on your behalf and working yeah. on your behalf so it means that your case could just sit there and if you don't call to chase it it could be there for exactly. months right now i've got this deal i think i remember telling you about a property that i found beginning of june in tilbury and right now we're what end of september believe you me i haven't even seen the contract i'm like in fact, the other day I sent an email to the vendor, I'm sorry, to the estate agent. I said, is anyone actually interested in the purchase in this sale? Because <laughs> it looks like no one is. So yeah, when you have a team, like a legal team, they're not sold out to your case. That is a big challenge. Yeah. When it comes to builders, builders is having the right builder, having a good builder is godsend. When you don't have one, you could be arguing and fighting and raising your voice and having sleepless nights when you don't have the right built team on board 
<laughs> I think everyone, uh, everyone faces this challenge. Yeah. It's, it's a very common challenge. So typically, I guess what we can say is if you find a good builder, make sure you keep them well and treat them well because, yeah, it's a very common, you know, you have builders that run away with your money. You have builders that don't come back and finish work. You have builders that don't do a good jobs, all sorts of problems. Yeah. I want to mention on this particular challenge, what has worked for me or you know, what's tend to work for people to combat this issue of builders. So in a situation where people have had builders run away with their money, the way to go about that is you never pay a builder upfront. Every good builder should give you a schedule of works, which is laid out into different chunks of work. So if this week you're going to be doing windows and doors, you only pay them after they've done the windows and the doors. You don't pay them before they do, you pay them after. So most builders will ask for a deposit, which is normal, which is expected because obviously they're not going to use their money to start your job. So pay them a small amount deposit and then have a schedule yeah. of work. So I would say no more than 25%, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And then you pay them after the job is done. The second thing, one of the other issues that you have with builders is the fact that sometimes they go ahead and do what they think is right rather than what you want them to do. So you might say to a builder, I want the toilet here and I want this particular type of toilet. And then you may go and come back and the builder has decided to put the toilet somewhere else and bought you a different kind of toilet. And then when you ask them, they say, well, actually it's meant to be. And there's nothing particularly wrong in changing position of things. If the professional thinks there's a good enough reason to do that, but they must communicate that to you before making that decision. Because at the end of the day, it's your build and you have to pay for it and you have to take responsibility for it after they're gone. So what you do need or how you can combat that is have a project manager whenever you have a build that obviously is worth a lot of money. Something, you know, any kind of build work that's going to cost you thousands of pounds, you have to invest thousands of pounds as well to get a project manager to project manage the work. Or unless you have the time to do that, yeah, so that was something that definitely, for me, first lesson learned when I started this thing. Yeah. yeah, and if I could add to that, so I'm on a Lend and Learn program, as I, I think I mentioned to you a few weeks ago. So I've been up twice now to Harrogate to see the work that's going on in this particular project. Mm. And one of the things that is keenly, or he keenly tries to communicate to us is that most problems with building work comes when people don't decide what they want or how they want things to be. So, you know, he talks about making sure that, you know, when it comes to building work, 80% of the job is done up front, i.e. before the work actually begins. So planning everything meticulously down to where the plugs are going to go, down to where, you know, the sockets are going to go. If you have to draw it on a wall to make sure that, you know, they put it in the right place, you do all of those things. So that at the end of the day, there's no reason why the builder should now decide that I didn't want the wall plugs there. I wanted it there. Or I drew it there for you. So why did you, you know? And having the conversations with the builder up front to show them what it is that you're trying to accomplish and can go some way in mitigating some of the issues that that occurs. It's not going to eliminate everything, but at least it makes things a lot smoother. So if you are undertaking, even if you have a project manager in place, you still need to make sure that, you know, all of that work is done up front to understand what is actually going to be 
because the other thing as well is if you say you get in the middle of a build and then you do decide to change where you think the toilet should go now they've got to replumb they might have to repaint they might you know and it ends up costing a lot more money so that's the other danger of not being so sure at the you know at the onset of the building work starting then the other thing as well to bear in mind is that especially when you're working on a project on a build that would require building regs or any kind of regs, it's important that your builder is engaged with the building regs person at the very start. So literally what you've just described, where everything is agreed up front, the building regs are you know, engaged so they know what is expected. They can put in and chip in what they want to see so that the builder doesn't run off and does what he thinks. And then at the point where you have your building regs inspection, you then fail that the inspection and then have to redo things. And then, of course, this is where there's a big issue with the builder because he then expects that if he has to redo anything, that you'll have to you know, pay him for changing things when in actual fact, there shouldn't have been a reason for that in the first place. So there are things that you can put in place to mitigate rubbish builders and builder issues. And like you, like Dami rightly said, once you find the right one, you just got to keep them sweet and just keep them for life. <laughs> keep them sweet, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to the next one. So the next one, so those are the first two. Number three is finances. Whoa. And that money. could include, you know, running out of money. That could include <laughs> money. That could include getting the right financial product in place. So, Bimbala, talk us through finances. Finances, man. Gosh, I think I've been through running out of money. I've been through not getting the money on time. Easy, man. <laughs> and the builders through... are chasing you and yeah. chasing yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been through the bank saying they yeah. don't want to give anymore because I'm payment yeah. holidays. <laughs> okay, so finance. So, obviously... With any kind of project, especially in property, money is like so important. Cash so is king. Cash, <laughs> cash, cash. Cash, credit, everything is king. You need the money to be able to decide, <laughs> you need to make decisions and so on and so forth. So one of the biggest challenges when it comes to investing is running out of money. But, you know, for the most of us, we start, you know, a lot of us, you might start with a pot of money. You know, people tend to, I would hear people say, oh, do you know what? Oh, I'm ready to invest now. I've got 100K. I'm ready to invest. Now. I've got 50K. And they're excited because they've got this amount of money. And then I'm thinking, well, obviously now I can actually think that way. Before it was like, ah, I'm a lot of money. But now I'm thinking, man, yes. one or two deals, you're out. <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that is a very common thing because, yeah, you might start with money, but then as you get started in the project, or as you, you know, get to obviously the obituary, 25% deposit as a big chunk. And if you're doing any kind of refurbishment, you know, you quickly would spend the money that you have. And then of course, when you do any kind of build or any kind of refurbishment, you will, without doubt, you will overspend. So you yeah. need to build that contingency in place. Yeah. So now, I think I remember my first project, I literally did it to the exact amount. And of course, when I ran out of money, I was like, ah, somebody help me. <laughs> And now I always build in my 10, 15% contingency. Contingency, yeah, yeah. So you can quickly run out of money. Yeah. Then you might also have issues with the bank. So it's not unusual for you to start a, you know, to start a purchase with a bank saying, oh, we'll give you the money. 
and then they give you an agreement in principle. And then when the process starts, when they start asking questions, start asking for more documents and so on and so forth, they might then decide that actually we thought we could give you this money or because of this that we've seen, because of, of your personal circumstances, because that property has been valued less, because, you know, for various reasons, we cannot be Yeah. And that's a big blur. Yeah. Anyone. Then you have to transition onto possibly depending on how far you are of the deal, transition onto maybe a more expensive option, something like bridging or you know, or maybe unless you can find some personal or if you can find someone who's willing to invest with you or yeah. give you some kind of loan note for, you know, a small well, I say small, a return on their on their yeah. investment so yeah it's finances is a big one isn't it and i think that stops a lot of people from wanting to enter into property because i guess the mindset is oh you need a lot of money i mean you do need a lot of money that can also be a barrier right for people entering into property yeah yeah i mean i had my first auction purchase that happened to me where the bank had said yes they would give us some money and then when we started based on the valuation they were basically decided they were only going to give so much so they didn't actually redraw the product they just said they wouldn't give as much as we had asked for but it kind of left us in a position where we had to change switch lenders because we didn't just want the money to purchase the property. We also wanted money to do the refurb. So we basically went and we switched lenders. And then the second lender took a little bit longer than they should have. And eventually we missed the deadline to us completing, which then meant we got charged for late completion and all the extra bits that went with it. So that was a big learning for me. But I think, and I suppose this is where your network then becomes your network. You know, that saying your network is your net worth is so key. And the people that you're surrounded with, if I knew what I know now, I probably would have still gone with the first lender and just gotten enough money to purchase and then raised the refund money through friends and family and pay them interest. Yeah. Uh, if I knew what I know now, I would have raised the extra bits privately. So even when we were, we, it seemed as though we were not going to make that the deadline, I could have easily, based on what I do know now, raised that money privately. But I just, it just never occurred to me as a possibility. I was just so, yeah. you know, the bank must give us this money. And then we, obviously, we ended up paying a bit more. Yeah, well, that's your education, that's your experience, and that's your mm-hmm. entry price, the free ease. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> your education, your experience, and the entry cost, you yeah. know, so... Yeah, let's coin that a phrase, the free ease. <laughs> no, fantastic. Yeah, so finances can be a huge challenge. But as you've said, as you've rightly said, there are options. And being able to think creatively will definitely assist you with overcoming those challenges. As you said, you've got family, you've got friends, you've got private investors who will loan money. because, And the reason why they would is because in the banks, as we know, banks are given in fact your money is eroding in the bank and again i've seen recently talks of potential of negative interest rates which means you will be paying the bank to hold your money in the bank (laughs) come and give it to bimbola and dami (laughs) 
<laughs> and we'll give you a more favorable return than you are getting in your bank. So, <laughs> so yeah, so. you said something about being creative. I've heard this before. I heard this a while back and it stayed with me all this while. The success that you get in property is linked to how creative you can be. It's basically, it's literally down to creativity because some of the deals that you hear other people making, all these fantastic opportunities, is because somebody has sat down and creatively thought of a way to make that happen. And yeah. you know, success in, in property is literally linked to your creativity. If you can be thinking, you're thinking creative in terms of structuring of the deal, creative in raising finance, creative in in pulling investors together, you can be so successful, you know, in a very short space of time. So that's the key right there. Yeah. So maybe in a future episode, we can do something on creative finance, different ways of raising cash and talk through each (laughs) option. So that's number three. We've got two more. So the fourth challenge in our top five challenges is time Time is money time 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 so let's talk about time why is time a challenge time is because possible time is money as they say and more so in property timing is so so important like it's so important you know so you really don't want to miss time so first of all let's talk about time to invest time to invest is so key because even though I personally believe that every day is a good day to invest in properties because I would rather you invest today than wait till tomorrow. However, however, time is key. You cannot sit waiting and analyzing and looking at what's going to happen and what, what happened last year, what happened next year and all that crazy, you know, all that analysis that people do. I mean, you're supposed to do that. Don't get me wrong because it's part of your due diligence, but you cannot allow that to keep you grounded to the point where you don't actually invest so time is important because every single day every single day something gets more expensive properties get more expensive the cost of labor gets more expensive the cost of everything gets more expensive so time when you have the time to invest you need to just literally just go for it Um, and then also talking about time once you're now in you know investing or you know like i think we did we talked a little bit about that when we looked at the, the money aspect where if you have a you always have a time to complete you have a time to exchange on a deal you have a time to complete you have a time to raise money you have a time to do your refurb you have the time to refinance and you've got to every one of these things has to work to the time that you set it otherwise when it gets elongated when it gets too drawn out then you're literally losing money every single day so a good example that i want to share is i've got this fantastic 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 um, handyman and in fact he's not really a handyman he's actually you know he's an actually an architect originally or by education by someone that is very good with his hands very detailed so i use him for a lot of my work and except for the ones that require certification so even though he can do electrics he can do plumbing because he's not a certified plumber or electrician obviously i wouldn't use him for those things because i need it certified for but for everything else he's a fantastic person but the thing or the challenge is he's a one-man band which means for every project that he's working on with me, because it's just him, it takes a long time to get it finished. And for a lot of the time, I have to really sit down and think, look, I love working with this person and they do a fantastic job. And I'm getting so much, like the quality is fantastic. However, as an investor, do I want to spend two months painting a property when they can be done in a month? 
Do you understand? Like you have to really think about that. You have to sit there and think, how much time do I am I willing to allow my team to work on X, Y, Z? Yeah. I, you know, the other one to quickly mention as well is remember I said there was a deal that we saw beginning of June and we were going to, but in fact, this was meant to be a cash buy. So look at us now in September. In my head, you know, I had assumed that or I had estimated that this deal that we saw the, fir- the first week of June, we would have, been, since we were cash buyers, we would have completed that deal at least minimum or maximum time end of July, giving us six weeks, six to eight weeks, to, which is even, which is a long time if you're paying in cash. And then I wanted to, I had estimated that if, that, if the completion took place end of July, I would have done, spent August and September doing the refurb. And then I'll be looking to refinance in October and get my money out so I can go on to the next deal. Now, the fact that we were nowhere close to that for me is like, really? Like, do you understand? I need to move on because time is so yeah. important. We just can't sit around and do nothing when money can be made. Yeah, time is key. I have a similar experience with our handyman decorator who promised us, you know, the refurb will be done in two to three weeks and it took three months. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're paying bills, you're paying mortgage and, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 all of that. So, no, it's uh, timing is very key. So I guess it boils down again to working with the right team and doing all the necessary planning ahead of time. So, cool. So then that moves on us to the last of our top five challenges and the last one is lack of education which by the way should have been number one (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah well i mean and i guess i could probably start off with this one it's not so much that you can't learn on the job as we you know we coined the free ease just now your you know education experience and uh, entry costs the thing is though when you don't have an idea of the art of the possible Mm. you know it's difficult to know the questions to ask it's difficult to know the possibilities it's you know we've talked about creative financing if you know what creative finance options exist how do you know where to go to raise you know this money for example if you don't know how to negotiate you know or how to find below market value deals as we spoke about earlier how do you get over the hump of buying overpriced assets so education is you know of the paramount importance now there are different ways you can get education because again probably a stumbling block for people is the fact that you know education it costs money it costs thousands and thousands of pounds but there are other options out there where you know you can for example even though i've paid for courses and stuff like that you know i like to learn by the more practical so seeing it and learning it as opposed to just sitting down and hearing and that's just me so being on this program allows me to actually see what's going on so you can actually invest your money and you're learning at the same time and i'm seeing a lot more and more opportunities of that coming along so mm-hmm. you just pay for example three thousand ten thousand pounds for an education course you lend your money you get a return on your investment but you also get a return on your intellect so the education part and then you get a return on, on your interaction as well so the relationships you're building so education is it's very important and i think the other thing is it minimizes the mistakes you make 
Now, don't get me wrong, there will still be mistakes, but, you know, it can minimize very expensive mistakes. Um, there's a saying that if you think education is expensive, uh, right. <laughs> try ignorance. <laughs> and ignorance can literally cost you thousands and thousands of pounds. So there are, you know, yes, it might cost you three grand. Yes, it might cost you 20 grand if you go on, you know, one of these year-long masterminds or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, the cost of ignorance can sometimes be in, you know, 50,000, 60,000 hundred thousands of pounds if you make the wrong mistake so you know some people say yeah i prefer to learn from experience fine but experience is also a harsh teacher so (laughs) you minimize all of those mistakes that you can make so education is very important so yeah do you want to talk on education as well i can talk on education all day every day (laughs) i can do i could feel you trying to edge in there so i was like give you your time (laughs) yeah so education is so important because this thing that i've heard and i love is you don't know what you don't know so even though we are in an age where you can google almost everything like literally even my four-year-old can go my three going up to four can google stuff but you only need to you can't google what you don't know you can only google what you do know in fact you have to give google something to find to come back with so if you don't know what the something is you're not going to be able to know what to do so but then going back to my own personal experience i remembered when i started so 2008 i heard about properties i started to hear about properties how you can make money from properties and so on and so forth i went on a two-hour training course the usual way they pull you in with a free seminar and they try to sell you more expensive course. And I think I bought the first bit, which is probably, I spent about 500 or less. And you know, that was really good. But again, it just touched on the surface. So I really wanted to learn. I was quite intrigued by what I was told, but I wasn't willing to pay the thousands of pounds that was what the courses would cost me because in my head I figured look if I had a few thousands of pounds I might as well invest that money and I know that as I'm saying this this probably resonates with a lot of people because people feel look I've only got so much why should I spend that so much money on education when I can go ahead and invest so that's literally what I did I went and I invested the money that I had but then what happened within after the first year I run out of money or should I say it took me another year to raise the next pot of money. And I realized that there was no way on earth I was going to be at that point. There was no way I was going to ever get the portfolio that I was looking for if all I did was bought one property a year or one property every two years um, for how long it took me to raise my deposit. So eventually I gave in when I realized that I wasn't getting far. And still people that I knew or people that I on the training were making headway. So I decided, look, let me just pay for this and just see what I get. I mean, and I committed to paying, but then also I committed to doing. But because I suppose the thing about education is you can actually, so for some people don't even want to pay to be educated. Some people do pay because they're information junkies and they do yep. not with the education so yep. you can't pay for education and sit on it no you, you have to do the doing so when we're talking about education we're not just talking about you giving handing over thousands of pounds to somebody to tell you how these things work we're saying look you need to take that step further you need to know have the basis and then you have to practically go ahead and, and do it because that's where the learning itself is consolidated so mm. that's 
personally I did where I paid a lot of money for my education. I got a mentor in the process. And I have to say that whilst I had been doing the regulars, the usual buy to let and to family let, it wasn't until I had my mentor that I started to do more creative things. That was when I started to, you know, that was literally where for me, this whole thing really and took pushed off. On. Yeah. yeah, because he challenged me, he pushed me, even down to the location as well. I remember when I had my first meeting with my mentor, I had picked out a number of different locations that I wanted to look at. As part of the program, you go and research two, three different areas and then come back with the research. And when I did, to be fair, I was gearing more to, let's say, location A. But then when I started with him and he took me through, you know, why this location and why that location in the end we decided together to go with location b which for me right now has been my gold mine area so yeah. i cannot attribute that to my mentor and then of course over the years i've continued to pay for more education as well like i mean i met dami on one of those type of setups so you've paid to be there to learn and we're still continuously learning yeah, uh, you never he, stop, do you? You never, never stop. stop. That's quite addictive as well. Mm. <laughs> you never stop learning. <laughs> you never stop doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, that dawned on me when I met people who had been on these very expensive masterminds, mm-hmm. which, you know, sorry, very expensive masterminds, which, you know, cost up, you know, um, I would say oh. around about 20K or so. Mm-hmm. And then I'm still seeing them attending numerous courses that also cost thousands of pounds. Yeah. I'm thinking, but wait, you've been on a 20K mastermind and you're still here. Huh? <laughs> so education never stops. You continue to learn. You continue to learn. So it's, yeah, no, education never stops. And it is actually quite fun because you start to expand your mind. You know, it expands your mind. It expands your sort of, again the art of the possible so where you might be thinking you know in a certain way by being around individuals who are ahead and they start to tell you okay this is what we're doing this is the possible it's very interesting and it also spurs you on so yeah but like you said i think very very important is that you can pay this money you can get all the education but if you don't take the action yeah as Tony Robbins will say, massive action. You know? Action. <laughs> you got to take that massive action. My very bad Anthony Robbins impression. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> You've got to take that action because otherwise, you know, there's a very wise book that says, that tells us what wisdom is. And wisdom is, we understand that wisdom is just the application of knowledge. So you've paid for the knowledge. Now it's time to apply it. And that's where wisdom comes in. So yeah, man. And Can I say though, once you're educated, no one can take that knowledge away from you. Yes. And if you think about the fact that when you know something, you're already at an advantage and you can actually replicate or should I say you can sell on that knowledge to other people. So like now I'm doing this, I've been offering this training on just one strategy, not even all the different strategies, just one strategy. Been doing that now for the last few months and people are paying, even though I'm charging so cheap, but at the same time, people are paying because of what I know. So when you think about education, it's not just the fact that you're paying someone to teach you 
something what you don't know you pay someone to teach you you learn from them learn from their mistakes and the experience you practicalize what you've learned you take massive action and then as you also get the art or get to grips with the topic you can then do exactly the same onto the next person so, <laughs> so i hope you see what she did there she yeah. leveraged the podcast to sell her education program Yes. She's learning from the best of them. (laughs) Watch me. I'm about to do some Instagram live sessions and every session is going to end up with, so if you want to sign up. (laughs) She's learning and this is it. This is it. So even though you invest in education, because you now become a source of knowledge, you can pass that on in whichever way, shape or form that you want to. So well done to you, Bim. And, you know, continue the good work. that brings us to the end of today's podcast we hope you found that really useful we've certainly enjoyed talking about our top five challenges and if you have any more challenges that you think we haven't covered then send us a note hit us a comment and let us know and maybe you know in another episode we can talk about those and if this is your first time listening thank you for joining us please share subscribe and you know just share it to one person who you think it can help that will really help us because we're trying to really be of use and you know give lots of value to our listeners out there so and if there are any other topics that you want us to talk about then just again hit us in the comments and we can pick them up so thank you everyone thanks for listening on the flip all right bye